Today we're going to start a series called Awkward. I'm looking forward to this series. We already did this series in Marietta, and I know how cool this series is going to be. It is going to be a series about the things that the church is uncomfortable discussing. The way I put it, it's uh, stuff that Christians don't have to be weird about. We're going to do this for five weeks. There's a lot of uncomfortable conversations for churches that are very comfortable out there in the world and very important and very meaningful conversations that we don't have because it doesn't fit in the nice little Christian bubble. We're not that kind of church. We need to have very open, very healthy conversations about the real world and what's going on out there and weave that in with biblical truth. So we're going to do that over the next five weeks. We're going to have some great discussions about some amazing topics. Today, we're going to talk about happiness, emotions. Particularly in church, there's this pressure to be fake happy. (laughs) You know what fake happy is. Fake happy is you've got to kind of smile because you're expected to smile. You're expected to be okay, but you're not feeling okay. You don't feel like smiling. You're not feeling happy. But then you go to church and at church, you know, you talk a lot about blessed and talk a lot about joy and I'm expected to be happy at church. I'm expected to have it all together at church, but that's not how I really feel. An artist uh, did uh, draw a cartoon that was very serious uh, pretty recently, and it expressed sort of his pressure that he felt having to go to church uh, in a way that put a plastic mask on. And so uh, uh, this, this, uh, this cartoon really does say it all. Let's show that. It's, um, it's a guy who's in a desolate environment, and he wants to go to church, but he feels this pressure to put on, put on this plastic mask. Now, why is that mask... Such, such a pressure to put on at church. Well, I think there's a few reasons. First of all, emotions tend to be over-spiritualized. In church, emotions are over-spiritualized. We compare how we feel with what God is doing in our life. We'll talk about that here in a minute. Negative emotions are blamed on a spiritual attack. Negative emotions are blamed on spiritual attack. So if, if you're not feeling quite right, if you're feeling depressed or anxious or, 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 or guilt or embarrassment, there's this spiritual attack. I've pe- heard people say, the devil's attacking me because of how I feel. We over-spiritualize emotions, and so it's no wonder that people have this pressure to be happy or to be fine at church. Emotions are also used to describe God's presence. This happens a lot. I hear this all the time. I feel the presence of God as though because I feel his presence, he's here. And if I don't feel his presence, I don't know, he's hiding somewhere, right? We equate our feelings with what God is doing. Also, happy is the standard. Happy is kind of the standard at church. We talk about happiness and joy all the time, but we don't necessarily do a great job talking about the other emotions as well. Here's the formula at church. Happiness equals God's blessing. If you're struggling, you're failing. This is what people feel. If I'm happy, God's good. If I'm struggling, then I must be doing something wrong or God must be failing me. This is the implication in religious environments and we've got to do better than that. Because people who are feeling very real, normal, natural emotions, if they don't feel as though they're able to express those at church, several things can happen. They could feel unspiritual. They could feel unspiritual because everybody else looks happy. I'm not exactly dialed in with my emotions. I must be unspiritual. Or people can feel very alone. I don't feel free to talk about what I'm feeling. I don't feel the freedom to talk about how I'm struggling. So I feel very much by myself. Because that feeling can be chronic sometimes, people can begin to feel discouraged. I just don't think I'm going to get any better, and I don't have people walking this journey with me. And people can feel as though they're broken. They're broken. Everybody else looks fine. I must be the broken one. 
But the reality needs to be different. We need to get over the awkwardness of talking about real, normal, natural human emotions, and we need to embrace the fullness of these emotions that God gave us. In fact, the full range of emotion is central to what it is to be a human. The full range, the pleasant ones and the unpleasant ones, we need to embrace all of them because God wired us to feel the full range of emotions, and that's what it is to be human. Also, the full range of emotions is a gift from God. God wired us to feel the full range of emotions, so let's not fight it. Let's not just talk about the few pleasant ones. Let's embrace them all. In fact, the Bible embraces the fullness of human emotions. Uh, In ancient times, they understood that emotions were felt largely in the chest. For most of us, we feel emotions in the chest. And so they took that to believe that the heart was actually the center or creator of all emotions. So when the Bible talks about emotions, it talks about the heart or the cardia in the New Testament Greek. The cardia is the heart, what the Bible refers to as the center of our emotions. In fact, in Proverbs 15, 13, it says this, a happy heart makes the face cheerful, but a heartache crushes the spirit. The Bible fully understands that human beings have the full range of emotions. There are the emotions that bring cheerfulness. There are the emotions that crush us. And the Bible's very honest about all of those emotions. And so the heart or the cardia is our emotional reality. Our emotions are the very center of how we experience life itself. From being cheerful to crushed and anywhere in between. You see, God gave us seven emotional systems. Uh, Neuroscience has identified seven emotional systems. So we're going to weave in God's word with neuroscience, and it is going to be a seamless fit. It's going to be awesome. Ready? Here are the seven uh, emotional centers of our body. These are seven emotional systems. The first one is seeking, which results in enthusiasm. There's the center of rage, which results in anger. There's the emotional center of fear, which results in anxiety. The emotional center of lust, which creates passion. A lot of this is driven by sexuality, of course. One of the topics we'll discuss in this awkward series. There's the emotional center of care, which results in love. There's the emotional center of panic, which results in sadness or loneliness. There's the emotional center of play, which results in joy. These are seven distinct emotional centers in the human body. Now, in the church world, we really only focus on care and play. We only focus on love and joy. The emotion of love and joy is what a lot of churches focus on because the others are unpleasant. Let's talk about the ones that are pleasant. And why wouldn't we? They're pleasant. They're also talked about a lot in God's Word. God's Word is full of of encouragements about joy and love, but the Bible is also full of every one of these emotional systems in our bodies. Because the reality is emotions are little more than chemical reactions. What we feel are chemicals rushing our body and we define them as emotions. So I'm gonna show you a very short video that describes the summary of how we are wired emotionally and then we'll weave that in with God's word. Let's take a look. When we hear the word emotion, most of us think of love, hate, happiness, or fear those strong feelings we experience throughout life. Our emotions are the driving force behind many of our behaviors, helpful and unhelpful. Just where do our emotions come from? Our brain is wired to look for threats or rewards. If one is detected, the feeling region of the brain alerts us through the release of chemical messages. Emotions are the effect of these chemical messages traveling from our brain through the body. When our brain detects a potential threat, our brain releases the stress hormones adrenaline and cortisol, 
which prepare us for a fight-or-flight response. When we detect or experience something rewarding, such as someone doing something nice for you, our brain releases dopamine, oxytocin, or serotonin. These are the chemicals that make us feel good and motivate us to continue on the task or behavior. In these instances, the feeling region of the brain kicks in before the thinking part. Sometimes the reactions of the feeling brain are so strong that it dominates our behaviors and we're unable to think rationally in the moment. Our emotions hijack our brain. While many of our emotional responses happen subconsciously, our thinking can influence our emotions and sometimes this can be unhelpful. Just thinking about something threatening can trigger an emotional response. This is where we can manage our emotions with conscious thinking. Our emotions play a powerful role in the way we experience the world. Understanding and regulating our emotions through our thoughts and behaviors can help us take greater control of our brain and achieve our goals. Interesting stuff. Here's the reality of emotion. And this may not be uh, something that's commonly said in church, but emotions are chemical, not spiritual. Emotions are chemical, not spiritual. I put spiritual in quotes there because normally when in church environments you think of something spiritual, it's something non-physical. I define spiritual and I think the word of God defines spiritual as all-encompassing. It's everything. It's the invisible and the visible. It is our whole life is a spiritual experience. The reality of how God wired us emotionally is God wired us to feel because of chemical reactions. And so emotions are chemical, not what's commonly called spiritual. Here's how God wired us. We feel, we feel emotion because in the face of threat or reward, our brains release molecules that make us feel things that will make us do things necessary for us to survive and thrive. It's ingenious. It's an incredible miracle of creation that God would wire human beings with seven separate emotional centers, whether it's reward or whether it is threat, to release several different chemicals so that we would experience something we call emotion so that we will be driven to do something necessary to survive and thrive. It's incredible. But it's not a super hyper spiritual experience. It's chemical reactions. Now, we get to experience emotion because we're made in God's image. God is not physical. God is invisible. God is spirit, as the word of God says. But God spiritually feels. He feels all seven emotions. All seven emotions that we feel, God feels. You look at God's word, you see that God feels in a personal way all seven of these emotional centers that we experience. In fact, if you look at the life of Jesus, and we believe Jesus is the full expression of God, right? The fullness of divinity, but the fullness of humanity. He also experienced all seven of these emotional centers. Let's look at the seven. What did Jesus experience when it comes to seeking enthusiasm? Was Jesus enthusiastic? Of course, in Luke 19, 10, he says, I am seeking and saving humanity. And that word seek is to stalk. He is enthusiastically going after this lost humanity and bringing them into the love of God. How about anger? Well, Jesus destroyed the temple. He made a whip, and, and with sticks in this whip, he drove out people and humans. He was enraged because they were making God's house a den of thieves. How about anxiety? Mark chapter 14, so anxious that the capillaries in his forehead are bursting. He's sweating blood as he's facing the cross. How about passion? 
Jesus has a passion for people. Luke 19, 42, he's standing over the city of Jerusalem. This is his capital city of, of the nation he loves so much. And he's weeping, passionately weeping over this city. And he's saying, if only you knew the salvation that was coming to you, but you will reject it. He's passionate for these people. How about loving? Of course, the ministry of Jesus is about love. He says the greatest commandments is to love God and love others. How about sadness and loneliness? In Matthew chapter 26, he's about to face arrest and torture. And he is begging his disciples, stay with me. I do not want to be alone. They're, they're sleeping. You know, they're, they're away from him. And he is in this torment. And he's begging for company, feeling the loneliness and sadness that was to come. How about joy? Jesus played with the children. We talked about that a couple months ago and was you know, criticized for it. And he also talked about joy a lot. In John 15, he says, the joy that I've received from the Father, I'm giving to you that my joy might be complete. Jesus experienced all seven of these emotional centers because he's fully human, fully divine, but fully human. So there's two ways we can look at this. Jesus is a fully human being experiencing the full range of human emotion. That's a fact. But I wanna flip that on its head a little bit. I'd rather say more accurately that fully human beings experience the full range of divine emotion. Keep in mind, God made us in his image. God isn't made in our image. So all of the emotions that we experience is the pleasure of being made in God's image. God experiences all of these seven emotional centers and he's given us the ability to do so as well by how he's wired our brains. So here's what I'd like us to do this morning. Embrace what it is to be fully human. Embrace the full range of divine emotion. All of it, the pleasant emotions and the unpleasant emotions. So here's what we're going to do. Let's uh, look at our fake happy kid. We're going to say no more of the fake happy. No more of the fake happy. Done. I don't want to put an X over the kid's face, but it's a, you know, we've got to be done with this fake happy thing. We've got to be a real, authentic, open, honest congregation. And I think we are in many respects, but let's keep working into that journey to not be fake happy, to not be awkward about human emotions, but embrace them all, embrace them all. So here's a question that's begged. If emotions are just chemical reactions, are we just a slave to feeling chemical reactions that are out of our control? Are we a slave to our emotions? What's the answer? No, we're not a slave to our emotions. Even though they're chemical reactions based on stimuli, reward, or threat, even though they are chemical reactions, God has wired us to take some mastery over our emotions. God has wired us to tame our emotions. And how has he done that? He's done that through thinking. You remember the video we saw, the neuroscience video? That our thinking can help tame our emotions. If we're thinking rightly, if we're thinking strongly, if we're thinking in terms of truth and reality, it can tame our emotions. So we are not a slave to our emotions. In fact, we can tame them. The Bible says so. Romans 12, 2, it's a very famous passage. It says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Mind, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. The apostle Paul is saying, let's think about life. Let's think about life. Let's use these wonderful brains that God gave us. And when we think through things and when we're transformed by our thinking, we will no longer be a master of lies. We'll no longer be mastered by our emotions. We'll be able to think through that. That's precisely what that neuroscience video says. Let's train our brains to think because we're transformed by what we think. And let our emotions be controlled by what we think. 2 Corinthians 10.5 uh, says this. 
It says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. There are lies out there and there are emotions out there that are setting itself up against God's truth. And what do we do with them? We take them captive and make them obedient to Christ. So there's all kinds of emotions that well up within us all. All kinds of chemicals going off because of all kinds of stimuli. Those emotions may not be true. You may feel something that's not in line with reality. You may feel unloved, for example, but the truth is you are deeply loved by a lot of people and deeply loved by God. So sometimes our emotions aren't quite right. Sometimes we believe things that aren't quite right. What the Apostle Paul is saying is let's find where those lies are, an emotional lie or a, a lie that we have adopted as true. Let's find them, let's destroy, let's demolish those things so that we can be thinking in a right way. And when we're thinking in a right way and thinking in a true way, we will have some mastery over our emotions. Let me put it this way. Seize the thoughts that are destructive and demolish them and fuel the thoughts that are constructive and make them obedient to Christ. Therapy is like that. Therapy is, is awesome. We've got a therapy center here, Safe Harbor. It's awesome, full of incredible licensed therapists. What they do most of the time is they identify where you have believed a lie and where your emotions have been impacted by that lie. And then they will retrain you to think in a truthful way so that over time the emotions will follow. It's an incredible thing. It's a God-given talent. It's incredible, right? This is our journey, all of us. We all have an emotional journey. In fact, I want to show you the most common emotional uh, reactions. These are the most common emotions based on the stimuli around us. Sadness and grief are certainly related. There's a loss there that's heavy. Shame and embarrassment about something we are doing or something we have done in the past. Helplessness and vulnerability. If we're not feeling very solid and very secure, we feel as though we're at risk. Anger and frustration. We're just kind of, we've got that, that anger or rage that's just underneath the surface. Disappointment. Life is not working out the way I thought it would or the way I think it should. So I feel this hollowness of disappointment. We all deal with these emotions. Every single one of us. The question is, are these gonna be a master over us or are we going to be a master over our emotions? I'm gonna give you two words right now that could change your life forever. Remember this day. For some of you, this is gonna be this radically life-transforming experience, all right? And it's two words. You're gonna be happy you came to church today. You ready? Rush and flush. Rush, then flush. It's not what you think it is. Rush and flush. <laughs> are the chemicals that rush into our body when we're stimulated. So we have a reward or a threat, our brain perceives it, therefore it releases chemicals that create an emotion, right? That's a rush of chemicals. Virtually every emotion, I'll say every emotion is a rush of chemicals. We have to understand that that's what it is. And then the flush of those chemicals takes place within 60 to 90 seconds. That's just the normal anatomy of emotion. Emotion rushes in by chemicals, 60 to 90 seconds later, it's gone. That's normal. So let me give you an example. Let's just say hypothetically, you have a 10-year-old daughter, she's your fourth, and there's one thing, she, she's the most amazing daughter, I mean the most amazing, I can't even tell you how amazing this hypothetical daughter is. But there's one thing she does that she keeps on doing that no matter what we do, she will not stop. And she happened to have hypothetically do it yesterday. She does this thing and, and I see this thing that she has done, or hypothetically, you see this thing that she has done. <laughs> there's an immediate rush of chemicals. 
uh, adrenaline, right? The brain perceives a threat. It's called a 10-year-old. And, and, and the center part of your brain releases these chemicals and adrenaline is rushing. Whatever your name hypothetically is, come down here. So let's just say, and this is hypothetical, let's just say she comes down and I am enraged or this person's enraged and you just fly off the handle and you say, you are this and you never this and you're just laying into this 10-year-old. Let's just say that happens. She's now triggered, right? She's now triggered. She perceives a threat. So now she's all amped. And then, the, of course, mom gets involved and harassing the dad, of course. And, and then I'm amped. She's amped. She reminds me of something I did, you know, forever ago. And, and now we're all triggered. And emotions are flooding our body. Chemicals are flooding our body. And then we're fighting for a long time. That's one way of doing this deal. That's normal and natural. Because when the chemicals are flooding our body, our thinking part of our brain is turned off and we are totally driven by chemicals. And so we hurt each other and hurt each other and hurt each other. That's the anatomy of a fight. The better way to do it is to wait the 60 to 90 seconds and let the chemicals flush out. Because they do, 60 to 90 seconds. It's like a wave, right? Uh, this wonderful hypothetical daughter is uh, learning how to bodyboard and surf. And so we went out to the uh, beach a couple of weeks ago and uh, actually just last, last week and had a great time, right? And so, you know, the wave comes and, and, and you get this person on the board and, and, and it's great and it's this incredible thing, but then the wave calms down and then you do it again. That's what emotions are. Emotions are a wave of chemicals. So just ride the wave and let it flush out. So here's, here's a better way to do this deal. You know, your, your daughter, uh, son, whatever, wife does something and you are, have this rush of chemicals. Wait the 90 seconds, wait it out. Whenever you feel an emotion, just know it's a rush of chemicals and it's going to disappear. That's all it is, a chemical reaction. You could sing yourself happy, happy birthday four times and, and the chemicals will be gone. Sing yourself happy birthday four times. Aubrey, we got to talk. <laughs> Let's talk about this thing. There's going to be a little punishment that, you know, correlates with the crime, but it's all calm, all tranquilo. It's all good. That's ideally how to deal with emotion, right? It rushes in. Let it wait the 90 seconds. And also what you can do is you, you could do some self-talk. I'll give, you, I'll give you an example here. I have a very soft spot emotionally. Um, my soft spot emotionally, I, I think you can tag it as vulnerability here. I was uh, very insecure and still am largely an insecure person. Uh, you know my story. I was raised uh, just a little difficulty at home. You know, not a big deal, but a little difficulty. Uh, insecure kid, skinny kid, stuttering kid, not very athletic, not a whole lot of friends. I'm insecure, Right? So that's my soft spot. When I got to be a teenager, I, I compensated for that soft spot by, by action, by doing what I was supposed to do, right? By doing what I was supposed to do. You can count on it. You know, Scott's going to do it. I don't know how he does all that. that. This is my compensation, right, for an insecure kid. That insecure kid is still in there, right? Now, seven years ago, I preached a sermon in Marietta. It was a long time ago. Thankfully, it was in Marietta. Thankfully, probably not recorded. I told a story in that sermon that I've heard a thousand times in church. I mean, it's just one of those common stories that you hear in church. I prepare every sermon. I manuscript every single sermon word for word so that every sentence is prepared. Every sentence is, is researched. That's my goal, to do the best I possibly can. When I prepped that sermon, I dropped in that story because it fit perfectly. And in the back of my mind, I was wondering, is that really true? Because I know darn well, being in church ministry for so long, that even if it's said in church a thousand times, that probably means it isn't true. But I didn't study it. I didn't research it. I just said it. 
Two, three days later, the kindest, sweetest, most grace-filled lady in our church wrote a nice note just to let you know so you don't do it again. That story's not true. And she gave me the, the link to the Snopes.com. I mean, it's like the worst. The worst thing for a public speaker is to have a story told that is debunked on Snopes.com. I mean, humiliated and like, I didn't do my job. I'm telling you, seven years later, or whatever it was, multiple years later, I will be just randomly making myself a peanut butter and honey sandwich because they're the best sandwiches ever made, and don't judge me. And this memory of that sermon will cross my brain. And, and the center of my brain will pour out these chemicals of shame and humiliation and vulnerability, and I will feel it here, and I feel it inside of my head, and I'm feeling it now. But it's gonna pass. And, and, and the more we realize that emotions are just a chemical reaction, you know, we take them seriously. We don't discount them. They're real things going on in our heads and in our bodies, right? We don't discount them, but they rush and then they flush and then we'll be okay. That works 90% of the time, 90% of the time, rush of chemicals, flush of chemicals. But there is a, another far more serious reality that is also a chemical reality. There are people who for whatever reason, their chemical gates sometimes don't open and sometimes they don't close. Very real physiological issue. For some people, their gates are always open and these chemicals are always released and that could result in chronic depression, chronic anxiety, chronic guilt and shame. They just don't have the gates that close. There are, are those whose gates are always closed and they cannot feel certain things because their, their gates are closed and the chemicals don't rush into their body. That's a medical problem. It is not a, quote, spiritual problem. It's a medical problem. I've got many people in my life that have medical problems. They're medical chemical problems and there are increasingly and thankfully medical and chemical solutions. And the church, frankly, has been awkward about that. And, and church sometimes tends to be sort of the last to embrace reality sometimes because it's such a traditional environment. But if somebody walked into church today, this morning, into this encore service, and they had a gash on their arm from their wrist to their elbow and blood was dripping from their arm, what would we say? Would we say, oh, maybe you're not being faithful enough or spiritual enough, you need more prayer in your life. Is that what we would say to somebody with a gaping, bloody wound? We'd say, hey, we're gonna pray for you, but we're gonna pray for you on the way to a hospital because you need medical attention. There are people all the time who walk in the church and they have a medical chemical problem. Their, their chemical gates are always open or chemical gates are always shut and we spiritualize it. And we talk about love and joy, which is great. Love and joy is great. Bible talks about love and joy a lot, but there's also a lot of people who really struggle chemically and chronically. Anxieties and depressions that can be paralyzed, grief that seems to never end. We've got to handle these people, precious people, in a way that's not awkward, that doesn't judge, that says, we're going to embrace you and we're going to walk with you in this journey. I'm going to close with two stories. One is, uh, is Kyle Preston. Some of you know Kyle, pastor here at Rancho. Um, when we hired him about a year ago, he says, I just want to let you know, I do struggle at times with anxiety and depression. Hey, this is a perfect church for you. We'll walk with you in this journey. A few months ago, he came to us and said, it, it's not, I can't heal on staff. I, I, have to, I have to be free from ministry responsibility. I am most anxious when I'm about to face a ministry responsibility. 
No, no problem, man. We love you, care for you. We will walk through you. Is your family provided for? Are you in a good spot? Let's stay in touch. And met with him just a couple days ago, doing great. He had to just back off of ministry for a while. Now he's thinking maybe I can dip one toe into ministry and we're gonna walk very, very carefully and gently with this man and this family that we love very, very much. I'm sure a congregation this size, there's a lot of you who struggle with this chronic emotional problem. And maybe if you have grown up in church, maybe you have thought to yourself, if I was honest about this, I'd be judged. If I told people what's in my heart and what's really in my mind, I might be rejected. Uh, I might be labeled unspiritual. Maybe you've thought in very um, serious moments of your life that you are guilty before God because you haven't been able to conquer this slavery in your life. I just want you to know that this is the place for you. You can be open and honest and vulnerable and you can walk in a community of grace that will not judge you and will walk with you to get the, the wholeness and the balance that you seek as much as possible within a community of unconditional love. And that, that involves love, it involves grace, it involves a judgment-free environment and it may very well uh, and likely will involve a doctor's appointment medical doctor, psychiatrist, and chemicals, because where you don't have chemicals releasing from your brain, chemicals can be given to you. Where you have too many chemicals, there are, there are medicines that will help to close those gates. It's complicated, it takes a long time sometimes, but there is help available. Tragically, three weeks ago, Pastor Andrew Stoic line of Inland Hills Church, just up the, up the road here in, in Corona Hills, took his own life because of depression and anxiety. Pastor of a large, thriving, growing church. He was also honest, and he was honest with his church and honest with his, his family. I am really, really struggling. He took time off, and don't come back and, unless you're ready and until you're ready, and the church and the family seem to do everything they possibly can, and, and this depression and anxiety swallowed him up. And the church is reeling, and, and Kayla's wife is reeling. She wrote this after her husband's passing. There are countless decisions that now need to be made to honor you and your life and to put your body to rest. What will you wear? What type of casket will you lay in? How will we pay for it? What location will be best? Do we buy one plot or two? Who will speak at the service? There are questions we shouldn't be facing. These questions were supposed to be answered 50 years from now when I'm old and gray. How do I do this life without you? Why are you gone so soon and how do I tell the kids? This is not just an awkward topic to discuss on a Sunday morning. This is real. This is important. We have to understand the depth of, of the complexity of of being a human being with the pleasure of being made in God's image, with the pleasure of experiencing the full range of, of what God feels, the, the pleasure of having a brain that can help self-talk our way through our emotions so that we are battling maybe emotional lies with the truth of God's word, the truth that we are unconditionally and always loved, the truth that our performance means nothing in terms of how God views us. We're his perfect children, his perfect sons, his perfect daughters in his eyes. We are forgiven of everything by the blood of Jesus Christ and raised to a new life, a life that walks a complicated journey. For about 10 to 20% of people who wrestle with chronic emotional difficulties, church has got to be a place where there's a wide open embrace of who they are and where they are. And to walk that journey of love, of grace, in a judgment-free environment, 
walk towards the best for them, a life of health and a life of balance. As long as the church is awkward about that, we are gonna be stiff-arming the world to stay away from the church because here we're not real. Here we can't deal with the, the full range of human emotions. Here we only put on a mask and put on a smile and say it's all fine. For a lot of us, it's not. And if the church can get over the awkwardness and embrace the fullness of emotions, if the church can get over the awkwardness and embrace people as they are where they are, we are gonna honor God in incredible ways and treat people the way, frankly, Jesus did with unconditional love, grace, and mercy. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for our time this morning to just be real about a subject that uh, religious environments are often very awkward with. Um, it's so much easier to just to put on the face and to talk about the joy and the love of the Lord, which is true, and that's the foundation under our feet. Your love never changes. But God, there is the real world. There are real stresses, real relationship problems, real circumstances that create real emotional experiences for us that are unpleasant and don't fit into the sterilized environment of church sometimes. God, help us to get past that awkwardness and just to embrace life as it is, embrace people as they are and where they are, that we would experience the unconditional love, not just talk about it in theory, but experience that with everybody that comes through these doors. God, for most of us, we can embrace the reality that emotions rush in and flush out, but for, for a, a good percentage of people, that's not the reality. There is a, a deep enslavement to, to emotions that often have people paralyzed. I pray that hope would arise in everyone, that they would realize that this is the community for them, that they will get holistic help, loved unconditionally and encouraged to get medical treatment. God, you have blessed so many people with so many skills to help in so many ways, therapy, medicine, friendship, the truth of your word that you love us without fail, no matter what, that we are yours and that you will walk us towards health and balance in life. In Christ's name we pray and everybody said, amen.